Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. For more information and to donate online, go to 3cr.org.au. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Good morning and welcome to Out of the Blue on Sunday 17th of November 2019. You're listening to 3CR Community Radio, 8.55 on your AM dial, or you can have a listen from our website, www.3cr.org.au forward slash Radio Blue, from where you can stream our broadcast and you will find a number of previously aired episodes that have been uploaded as podcasts. Also, you can check us out on Facebook, uh, facebook.com forward slash Out of the Blue Radio. We acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land 3CR is broadcasting from and pay our respects to their elders past and present and to future generations. My name is Andrew Christie from Melbourne Polytechnic and Marine Care Point Cook and today's weather, um, a bit overcast today but a top of 17 degrees, winds coming from the southwest at 20 kilometres an hour and backing off and calming down a bit later on but as always uh, please take care if you're getting into our beautiful bay or waterways in the state of Victoria. Uh, today it gives me great pleasure to introduce uh, not only our guest 
guest to the studio today, but uh, another future panellist on Out of the Blue, James Whitmore. Uh, welcome to Out of the Blue. Thank you, Andrew. It's great very to excited have... to be here. Very good, mate. <laughs> it's great to have you in the studio today. And uh, basically what we'll do is uh, spend today getting our um, listeners accustomed to who you are and uh, letting them know who, what you've been up to and what you hope to do and all that sort of thing. So uh, very much looking forward to that. So thanks very much for coming in. Thank you. Okay, so we'll um, just go to a quick announcement and we'll be back in a sec. Wondering how you pay your donation to the 3CR Radiothon? Well, you can do so online at www.3cr.org.au or call us with your credit card details on 0394198377. You can also come into the station at 21 Smith Street, Fitzroy during office hours and pay by cash, cheque or FPOS. Or simply post your cheque or money order to P.O. Box 1277 Collingwood 3066 and be sure to tell us which program you'd like your donation to go to. You're listening to Out of the Blue on 3CR Community Radio, 8.55am. So, James, can you give us a bit of a background, mate, if you could, a bit of a, uh, a snapshot to your uh, your life story in a nutshell and tell our listeners who you are and what you do? Look, I'll try. I'll try and be quick. <laughs> no, no, please don't. <laughs> um, I guess I would call myself primarily a writer, um, and I've done a bit of work as a journalist, as an editor, um, over the past couple of years. Um, I've been living in Melbourne for about eight years now. I grew up in Tassie. Um, So as an island surrounded by water, I guess that is where I had my first encounters with the marine world. And um, it's one of the reasons that um, I'm so passionate about the environment. Um, I love the the outdoors. Uh, I'm constantly exploring parts of Victoria. I love hiking and things like that. I'm a bit of a landlubber, I have to say. I primarily have a kind of fascination with the oceans and academic interest but i don't find myself recreating in the uh, marine world so much oh there's time yes, for that mate yes. we'll, we'll, we'll convert you don't worry <laughs> no that's very good whereabouts in tassie mate i grew up um in a small kind of commune called deviat um which is in the tamer valley north of launceston oh, so it's kind of a right. wine region yep um and actually my family were really into sailing so uh they were really heavily involved with the local sailing club which is on the river there it's mainly dinghy sailing um but fortunately unfortunately i didn't get the sailing bug so even though my parents and my sisters were totally involved with sailing um throughout my childhood i was kind of terrified of it yeah so i think it probably my parents reckoned that when i was you know before i had memory they um they took they sailed me um from between you know two sailing clubs at midnight during a storm oh and i feel like that somehow left an impression on I, me. i'd say it would have yeah I'm yeah just gonna... <laughs> yeah so i've spent most of my time avoiding sailing i i've, I've dabbled 
like more as I've got got older um, and enjoyed it more. But, oh, good yeah. one, good. Well, that's good to hear. <laughs> but yeah, I can imagine how that's uh, you know an impressionable young man copping that. Exactly, uh, that's, that's right. That's, that's one uh, way to put you off, isn't it? <laughs> it is. Yeah, that's uh, <laughs> talk about in at the deep end. Yes, uh, exactly. Oh man, that's um, uh, that is a. I, I love Tasmania. Um, spent a spent a lucky enough to spend a couple of months working there. This is going back a long ways now. This is two, the year two thousand. It was, and I was uh, lucky enough to get a gig at the. Uh, CSIRO for a couple of months doing a, a research project on uh, on great white sharks. So what they were doing was all the fishermen or anyone who'd come across a, a dead great white, whether it was actually accidentally captured in fishing gear or beach meshing programs, whatever, they'd cut a piece of the vertebrae out, and that was the area right underneath the dorsal fin. They're the largest um, vertebrae in the spinal column. They'd send those into us, and we'd uh, try and age the sharks. If you you look at a, a vertebral centrum face, uh, as you'd call it, they have this um, pattern of concentric rings, just like a tree trunk that's been cut through. The idea is you count the rings, and you can uh, determine, you know, what the uh, you know the uh, age of the animal. Um, so it was a pretty interesting time because some of those samples were from Tasmania, and I remember one in particular from Tassie. Um, it was, I think, from memory, it was captured at Matsuka Island. And it was, uh, she was 5.2 metres long and weighed 1,250 kilos or something along those and lines. And how old was she? Uh, we'd, we'd estimate, we come up with two estimations. Um, one was saying the, the high end estimate was around 28 years. Mm. And then the lower one was around some, it's somewhere between 22 and 28 years. How long do they live for? Uh, it's a, it's a, something we don't that's know. been, yeah, we, we're very uncertain. Um, but uh, there was a school shark that was captured um, that I think it was the longest ever that a, that a tag has been, um, you know, an animal's been at liberty with a tag in it. And they, I'm, I'm trying to think how old that one was. It was something like 37 years. Yeah. So if you're using that to basically extrapolate, I mean, there are some who say great whites will live to 100 years old. Yeah. Some, uh, you we know, we know, know Greenland sharks, we yeah. know for a fact 400 or something. That's it's right. absolutely astonishing. Mm. Um, so, yeah, but we're really not too sure, you know, and, and it puts a different uh, perspective on things when you talk about, um, you know, are they sort of rapidly growing or slow growing and all that sort of thing. If you if you think about an animal that gets to five point two meters long after you know sixteen odd years or something or seventeen years, it's pretty uh, you know it tends to be fairly rapidly growing. But mm. um, yeah, it's quite interesting stuff. It was uh, fascinating, and ever since that time, I mean, I'd been on holidays there and keep going back there for the dark mofo and mm. all that sort of thing. So it's fantastic time in Tassie. But uh, yeah, beautiful part of the world. Yeah, it's culturally buzzing, and um, mm. it's uh, given me a very high tolerance for cold water. Mm. I feel yeah, like you, you, if you're t- you, you can identify a Tasmanian by their willingness to throw themselves into the ocean in winter without a wetsuit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. That, uh, that lets you pick them, the, the Taswegians. <laughs> no, very good, very good. Yeah, so, uh, and, and can you tell us a bit about your background as a, uh, as a journalist? I heard you were uh, with the conversation as well. Yeah, so um, from about 2012, I worked at the conversation as a commissioning editor. So the conversation's... Um, a digital newsroom. It's um, based here in Melbourne, um, although there are offices throughout Australia. And the concept basically is that um, the founders of the conversation identified this gap in journalism. They realised that with the erosion of traditional media, um, expertise was missing 
specialist reporters weren't getting the funded that the funding that they really needed. Um, and so the founders of the conversation decided to tap into existing areas of expertise um, and match that with journalistic expertise. So um, we worked with academics at universities. They were um, the key partners of the, of the conversation um, and published their work for um, the general public. So that my job involved a lot of translating complex ideas for the general public. Yeah. Academics aren't always used to writing for um, for lay people. So Very true. it was really interesting. Um, and I spent four years on the environment beat. Um, it was a pretty intense time. So that was the years um, when the carbon tax was abolished. Um, one of the Worst things we had to cover with the back-to-back um, coral bleaching events on the Great Barrier Reef. Um, and honestly, like, it's a pretty depressing beat. Um, yeah. And after four years, it's very cyclical. Um, you, I, I realised we were covering, you know, basically had to write the same stories that we were at the beginning because things hadn't improved, at least in Australia. So uh, after that, I took two years' break on the um, on the arts and culture desk, which, I, which was my other great passion. I love... Um, particularly literature and um, reading. So, um, and then most recently I've taken a break from work so to travel. Um, but now I'm back in Melbourne, yeah. getting settled again. Yeah. Very good, very good, mate. That's, that's all very interesting. I'll tell you what, you're in the right place like as far as media diversity and everything goes. That's right, exactly, <laughs> yeah. 3CR is a, uh, you know, obviously we're uh, uh, one of the beacons, I suppose, of uh, media diversity. And, exactly, you know, yeah. If there's, a, if there's a show to be done, chances are it runs from 3CR. So there's uh, enormous uh, diversity here. So that, uh, that's terrific to have you on board. And uh, have you done much uh, radio previously? I have. So, well, not not a huge amount. Um, but back when I was at uni, um, I did some radio on SIN, the Student Youth, ne- student youth Network, um, um, based out of RMIT. Um, so I did some presenting. I did a little funny wildlife segment on the breakfast show there for a little while. And um, I also ended up producing and presenting a show on, we called it First World Problems. It was about... Um, things that you might think are trite but um, are actually kind of serious. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, we're increasingly being uh, made to question some of that, our, our uh, you know, wisdom or lack thereof. Exactly, that's right, yeah. <laughs> yeah, right, very good. So um, as, as far as your, uh, I, I guess, uh, would you say your interest in the oceans, it, it came from your time in Tassie or was there anything sort of after your time in Tassie that made you really sort of start reflecting on the oceans? Like you say, all the stories you were writing about coral bleaching and all that sort of thing has there has there been something else that's really kicked off your fascination i think tasmania definitely had a role in it Mm. being surrounded by the oceans all the time um but like many people who are environmentally minded i think um my interest dates back to david attenborough yes Uh, i spent most of my childhood watching and re-watching david attenborough series um which left an enormous impression on me and that led me to become really interested in um, evolution, ecology, biology, all that sort of thing. And um, as, I suppose like many um, people who are interested in the oceans, my, the first creatures I was obsessed with were whales and dolphins. Um, so yeah. I have stacks of books from when I was about five years old um, on whales and dolphins. But as as I've got older, um, I guess, you know, as someone interested in the environment now, I just had to become interested in how things are changing. Um, it's really interesting and troubling to watch how oceans are 
changing because of what people have done to them um not just climate change but pollution and um yeah and the the really troubling signs that we're seeing around you know ecosystem collapse and and just the fact that the oceans control so much of the world we live in in terms of climate um but the other thing i'm really interested in about the oceans is that they're just so alien yeah um you know, it's just kind of a completely foreign concept that there are all these things living in this 3D fluid that completely upends the rules of what we think we know about living on Earth. Yeah. Um, it's just amazing, and yes. we know so little about it in some ways. Um, I remember this uh, re- reading about a study last year that um, that calculated the biomass of um, all the organisms that live on Earth. Um, and if you do that, if you add it all up... Um, Plants are the most dominant form of biomass on land. Um, and I was kind of surprised by that because, yeah. you know, we're humans and we assume that, you know, we are, you know, a significant part of living on land. Actually, the land belongs to plants. But the oceans, the dominant biomass, is animals. So human um, na- animals are more naturally marine. Yeah, and yeah. I find that really interesting that humans are the aberration, yeah, the fish that are normal. That's an interesting way of looking at it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. No, very good. All right. Well, we might uh, break things up a bit. Let's go to a song. This is In Excess with... Oh, now I'm trying to think what the name of the damn song was. Um, the One Thing, it's called.
help 3CR support the rights of Indigenous Australians. They mean to save our culture and save our dreams, our footprints, dreams, our songline and keep our culture going strong. Of course, a lot of the Aboriginals, having been stolen, were put into state care and also others were... The recognition were... of what our people have been through in the last 200 years, the recognition of our culture in the last 40,000 years and the recognition of where we are heading into the future. Welcome to uh, Survival Day, Invasion Day. 223 years ago, the white man landed on our shores. Subscribe to 3CR and help keep Indigenous voices on air. Call us on 941983 or visit 3cr.org.au. Subscribe now. You're listening to Out of the Blue on 3CR Community Radio, 8.55am. Okay, just a couple of items of uh, interest uh, while we uh, uh, discuss uh, things with uh, James Whitmore, our new panellist on Out of the Blue. Um, a couple of items of interest in the uh, in the news media recently. Uh, it's it's a, sort of a, a hard luck story recently. Uh, back on Saturday, 9th of November in The Age, uh, page 15, there was an article entitled Black Oil, Black Oil Spill Seeps into Port Phillip Sanctuary and it was based on Jawbone Marine Sanctuary and Corroit Creek. And um, what's been alleged is that uh, Borrell had a spill, um, Borrell Resources had some sort of a spill into the uh, into the creek. Now, it appears that it was some um, uh, relatively heavy fraction of, of oil product um, with thinking something along the lines of bitumen or asphalt is what's uh, kind of been alleged. Um, didn't do an enormous amount of damage, thankfully. It was detected uh, relatively early. They got uh, some flotation booms in, I think, and other clean-up equipment, what they call suck trucks in, and uh, managed to extract a fair bit of this uh, gunk that had gotten down into the uh, water. Um, chatting to some uh, some people yesterday, it appears that there was somewhere up around 25 birds that were seen to be sort of uh, soiled and oiled and all that sort of thing. So, uh, yeah, not a, ca- a catastrophic situation by any stretch of the imagination, but it was an item of interest that uh, that came up recently and the EPA are all over it and uh, it, it seems like the, uh, the damage has been pretty much uh, mitigated. So, not too big a deal, but uh, yeah, never a, never a nice situation to have. Um, Andrew, um, what, what will happen to those birds? Will they, will people try and attempt to capture them and I, put them through cleaning? I, th- I think so. Um, uh, being the, the sort of heavier fraction, it's, it's a, uh, I, I suppose it would be more damaging, more concerning potentially for something like diesel or kerosene or something along those lines. Those more refined products tend to be a bit of an issue. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I don't know sort of the extent of, like, from what we hear around 25-ish or something like that, um, whether the next thing is whether you can capture them or what or whether it's just superficial um, damage that gets done, um, it, it might not be too big a deal. The good thing about the heavier fractions is they do tend to be much less bioavailable, so they're not as big an issue as some of, you know, if you're looking at a big spill of crude oil or something, uh, the, the damage it does to the bird's feathers and it really spoils the uh, the plumage and, and basically means that they uh, they lose that insulation capacity. So a lot of them end up dying of hypothermia in a worst-case scenario. So I'd say it's pre- probably fairly unlikely from what we've, um, we, we can see here, but, um, yeah, who knows, we'll have to see how that one pans out and keep an eye on it. Mm, so. Good luck to them. Yeah, that's it. A um, couple of other items of interest. Uh, had a couple of, uh, we've got a couple of birthdays today actually from uh, Marine Care Point Cook. Um, firstly, Jacqueline Flynn, who was the uh, inaugural president and basically the creator of Marine Care Point Cook. Uh, she has a, uh, she's 40 years young today. So um, a quick shout out to Jacqueline Flynn. Happy birthday for today. Um, she celebrated her uh, 40th last night in Brighton. So that was a, uh, 
a fantastic uh, party. So, uh, yeah, cheerio to... Uh, Happy to, birthday, Jacqueline. Very good. Um, and uh, Caroline Esbenshade as well. Um, she's uh, having a birthday today as well. Those two share the uh, 17th of November as their birthday. So happy birthday to Caroline. Uh, yesterday at Point Cook Marine Sanctuary, uh, we had uh, a sea search activity. Sean Davis from Parks Victoria was uh, kind enough to join us on the beach and go through and do some uh, some sea search type activities. So that was uh, that was good. Um, the problem we had yesterday at Point Cook, as is often the case when you get the strong sort of southerly winds blowing, is it dumps a lot of algae rack onto the uh, shore. Is that the stuff that smell can smell pretty bad? It's the stuff that smells awful. That's right. <laughs> it's basically what you get is that. That rotten egg gas smell, that hydrogen sulfide and all sorts of other sort of aromatic compounds, I guess, that are all sitting there. So uh, in some instances, we were wading through stuff that was like a foot deep. You can mm. imagine a foot deep of seaweed that was sitting there rotting in the sun. So it wasn't very Can you uh, pick pleasant. it up and use it for compost? Or uh, you, you pro- yeah, you probably could, yes. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's very, uh, obviously, being an organic sort of thing, it's, uh, yeah, you, you've got plenty of nutrients in there. And of course, as we know, um, with Point Cook, we've got quite a few introduced species, so Japanese slippery weed. Um, the rumour with uh, Japanese slippery weed, Gratilupia turuturu, as it's known, is um, it does have some uh, reputed to have some sort of antibiotic properties. So uh, the the other one being Undaria pinnatifida, that's the Japanese kelp or wakami. Of course, that's an edible seaweed. So mm. there's quite a few things there that we could potentially be uh, doing with the seaweeds around these sorts of environments. But yesterday I made it difficult when you're trying to estimate algal cover and uh, you know count the number of invertebrates and snails and all this sort of stuff that's in the area and you're uh, yeah you've got a foot deep of, uh, of of algae sometimes there's not a whole lot you can do it so it sounds we... fun <laughs> yeah 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 it sounds dirty yeah it was it wasn't uh, it wasn't much uh, it wasn't wasn't terribly enjoyable yesterday <laughs> but then's the breaks that's what you're going to get with uh, ecological sampling um, the other thing too worth pointing out is on for those who are interested Saturday the 30th of November we've got the great Victorian fish count uh, coming up at uh, Point Cook Marine Sanctuary so if anyone's interested in that one um, feel free to, uh, to to drop me an email my uh, email address is probably as good as any it's uh, Andrew Christie all one word lowercase at uh, melbournepolytechnic.edu.au and you can check us out on Facebook as well do you have to get wet for the fish count? You do. Um, it's uh, it's one of those things where you uh, like with the sea search activity yesterday. No, because you're all it's all out of the water. But then uh, for the fish count activity, yeah, it's uh, jumping Some diving. Have a, yep. have, a, have a have a snorkel. Um, we once upon a time, I think there may have been capacity to do scuba, but there's not anymore. Um, in fact, I think it's always been a snorkeling event. So it's just uh, get in and have a paddle. The interesting thing with Point Cook Marine Sanctuary is we find a lot of the really good stuffs in like a meter, meter and a half, two meters deep. You, you can put push offshore and get into water that's, um, you know, six or seven metres deep if you're keen to have a scuba or do some pretty challenging snorkelling. But um, a lot of the good stuff is in relatively close to shore. So we find what we call PJ Point because we once saw a massive aggregation of Port Jackson sharks there, um, which is a case in point, all the good stuff in relatively shallow water. But we get schools of mullet and black brim and um, you see Australian salmon and snapper schools thumping through the water from time to time. So there's a lot of that stuff that's in relatively close to shore, which is always makes it 
very interesting. It sounds and like a heap of fun. It is. And, um, yeah, absolutely recommend it. The other big uh, arrival at this time of year, too, is the Southern Fiddler Rays. Uh, they would have been slowly building their numbers up with a bit of luck over the last month or so, uh, if, if uh, previous years are anything to go by. And, uh, you know, they'll get up to a metre, you know, 1.2 metres long. And we seem to, um, it seems that they have that area as almost like a breeding ground. Um, you see a lot of the big ones coming in and uh, sitting in relatively shallow water. Sometimes the big gravid females hang around there. And to the west of the sanctuary, out more towards the uh, Point Cook RAAF base, we seem to have found a nursery there because there's the much smaller individuals, um, you know, the, the ones that are a foot long or, or even shorter. Um, so, yeah, hopefully we'll get some good uh, numbers of the, uh, the fiddler rays, also known as banjo sharks. Um, we'll see good numbers. In one year we counted something like, I think it was 112 of them, um, and that was six pairs of snorkelers in the water. So it's pretty amazing. So it's a really rich habitat for them. Yes, that's uh, that's uh, that's something that's coming up. Um, one other thing that's worth giving a quick plug to as well, back on the 2nd of November for anyone who might be interested in the future, um, Portland Upwelling Festival. Now, this is based on the Bonnie Upwelling, and um, there were some uh, presentations that were done on the day that were really interesting. The Upwelling Festival was really neat. It was a really nice event to be part of and go and check out. So that's one to uh, to keep a lookout for in, in coming years. Uh, the Bonnie Upwelling, for those who don't know, is basically this big upwelling system where it's all the cold nutrient rich water being dumped right off the coastline in close to shore and you get the whole ecosystem coming to the party including blue whales exactly exactly it just about everything comes up uh if if it's uh if it doesn't show up for the bonnie upwelling then it's probably not worth worrying about <laughs> yeah it's blue whales and everything in between it's a feast. it certainly is okay well thanks a million for coming into the studio today james thank you for having me it's been a pleasure no worries we look forward to uh many more uh, uh meetings and interviews and having you as a panelist on out of the blue stay tuned now for uh, sally with out of the pan and enjoy your sunday